Let's take our Bibles together, please, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 27. But when we began this study years ago, going through the book of Proverbs, we said that if there was ever a day that needed wisdom from God, it's today. And uh, there's a plate full of wisdom in the verses that are before us, if we can get through all of them tonight, in the verses that are left here in the book of Proverbs chapter 27. And uh, let's open up our hearts and let God give us some wisdom tonight. Proverbs 27 verse 18 is where we pick up where we left off. Proverbs 27 18, the Bible says, Whoso keepeth the, fir- the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. As in water, face answereth to face. So the heart of man to man, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. As the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered, the lambs are for thy clothing. And the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goat's milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance for thy maidens. God will bless his word. The first thing I see here in verse number 18, waiting on the master. It says... Whoso keepeth the fig tree and shall eat the fruit thereof, so he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. You know, anybody that keeps a fig tree or an orchard or crops, it takes diligence to prune them, to make sure they're healthy, that the work is done to gather the fruit off of it. And in showing the diligence of keeping this fig tree, he equates it to someone that's waiting on the master. Just like a faithful person that keeps the fig tree, they'll be able to eat the fruit thereof. They'll enjoy the benefit of their labor, of their diligence, uh, keeping that fig tree. Even so, the one that will wait on his master will be honored in his life. You know how hard it is to wait on the master. You know, the Bible talks about the Lord Jesus as our master. So many people called him master in the New Testament, but that was sort of a hollow phrase. It's like when people talk to the Lord. You know, that word Lord has a heavy connotation on it. As, as Jesus said, you know, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say, why, God wants to know, why are you calling me Lord and you're not? Because the word Lord means that he's in charge. So a lot of times those are hollow 
titles that we give. Master is such a title. Now, I encourage you, when you pray to God, you know, there's so many ways you can address the Lord. You can talk to the Father. You can pray to Almighty God. You can pray to the Lord. But you know what? I think rarely do we bow our heads and say, Master. Maybe there's something wrong in our hearts that we don't do that. How many times Jesus was addressed with that properly with that phrase, Master. You're in control. You're the master of me. You're the one with the reins. Now, if he's the master, if he really is the master, according to this verse, you need to wait on your master. Now, that has a dual connotation. To wait on your master, that means you're serving him, right? That, that, that's part of waiting on someone. You, would you like some more of this? You like some more of that? And you go, you go get, can, can I help you with this? Can I take your shoes? Can I bring something to it? Waiting on the master. That's like tending that fig tree and you'll eat the fruit of, of it. And the Bible says if you'll wait on your master, then you'll be honored. Jesus said in John chapter 12, he says, if you will serve me, whoever serves me, him will my father honor. If you'll serve the master, God will honor you. You know, and that's very rarely do people serve the master. They serve themselves. Their life is not about serving. Your life should be about serving God. Period. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not even a deacon. If you're saved by the grace of God, the purpose of your life is to serve your master. You can serve him at the bank, you can serve him at wherever you work. You can serve him in your neighborhood. You can serve him out in the field. But it takes you being willing to wait on your master. You've heard people say, well, I'm not going to wait on you hand and foot. I tell you what, I want to wait on Jesus hand and foot. And he'll honor, he'll honor our lives. If you will honor God, he will honor you. But we can't expect God to bring forth all that wonderful fruit in our lives and and bring honorable things to our lives if we're not willing to serve Him and wait on Him. When I think of waiting on the Master, I think of something else. I I think of just patiently waiting on the Master. Just waiting on Him. Like the Bible says, wait on the Lord. You know, so many times, have you ever noticed God doesn't do things on your, on your schedule? Matter of fact, He didn't even look at your schedule. <laughs> he didn't even notice our timetable because our timetable is so not His will. And, and our job is just to wait on our Master. You know, sometimes we pray about stuff and you say, well, I didn't get my prayers answered. Well, just wait. I've heard people tell me that. Well, I prayed and prayer stuff don't work. Well, number one, to get your prayers answered, you need to be saved. (laughs) But but also, if you're saved, sometimes the answer doesn't come when you ask. You've got to, God's not our little servant. We're supposed to be his servant. And I tell you what, sometimes that's hard because we want everything worked out that we're praying for now. And... That's not how the master relationship works. We've got to wait on him. You know, Elisha waited on Elijah. He poured water on his hands. He did whatever. He, he followed him wherever he went. 
You know, when Eli- right before Elijah went back to heaven, Elijah really got a little bit rude with Elisha. Just stay here. Don't follow me anymore. He said, no, I'm not going to leave you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And then they teased him, you know, and said, you know, God's going to take your, your master away today. And he said, yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. Hush up, you know. God's going to take his master away, Elijah away. But, but he, he's going to just sit there and patiently wait and be the servant he's supposed to be until God takes away the master. And he's just going to be faithful as he waits. And it's hard for us to wait on the Lord sometimes. And you know, I think sometimes God doesn't answer us immediately or come to our aid immediately to prove that we're really interested in his opinion. Does that make sense? In other words, like the Bible says, no man can serve two masters. Sometimes it's, it's my opinion plus the Lord's opinion. But that's, that, that's not a master, you see. It's his opinion and his opinion alone. Well, if, if I'm not willing to wait on the master's word on something, then it shows that I'm not really interested in his opinion. I want what I want, and this is my opinion about it. Just think about how Mary and Martha had to wait on Jesus. They had to wait on the master. And while they were waiting, their brother died. And it was like, you know, you're not on time. You don't even, do you even care? Isn't that what they tell the Lord? If you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. We waited and we waited. It didn't work out. Well, it did work out. It did work out. But you know how many times it doesn't work out when somebody didn't wait on God? You know what God told um, through Samuel, told Saul to go down and wait on him until he got down there to offer that sacrifice. And Saul was late. You know, you can always find an excuse for not waiting on God. Or excuse me, Samuel was late. Samuel said him at times, said I'd be down there. He was late. You know, sometimes God looks like he's late on a lot of things. But he's not late. Maybe he's just testing what's going on in your heart. And so Saul couldn't wait. And he went and offered the sacrifice in disobedience. And Samuel came and said, what have you done? What have you done? He says, well, you, you weren't here, so I forced myself. How many things are we forcing in our lives instead of waiting on God? Look how Joseph and David and Daniel had to wait in the Bible on God to bring deliverance in their lives. Moses couldn't wait on his master. Moses said, I, I know I'm, I'm supposed to be the deliverer. He was right. But he couldn't wait. He couldn't wait on his master. It's not his place to set the, the path of his life. It is not in man to direct his step. He's to wait on the Lord. But he couldn't wait on the Lord. So what did he do? He went and killed somebody. And you know, that didn't work out well for him. And he's on the backside of the desert. And so finally he, he leads the children of Israel out at, at an old age because maybe he just couldn't wait. So God just said, all right, then you're going to, you can't wait here. 
I'll put you out in the wilderness and let you wait out there. Mm. Don't we can't rush God? You know, Paul told them when that in that ship that uh, took them out into that big storm in the Book of Acts. I believe it's chapter uh, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, somewhere in there. And Eurocladon was the name of the storm. And they said, "Man, we got to hurry up and leave. We got to get out of here. Winter's coming." And Paul said, "Better not leave. You better wait." No, we can't wait. This is what we got. We got to get going. We got to do this. Well, sure enough, they didn't wait, and then they got in the storm. And the ship wrecked. And, and the preacher said, I told you, you should have listened to me. You should have waited. Mm. How many people have made a mess of their life just because they couldn't wait? They couldn't wait on the proper relationship. They couldn't wait for the proper job. They couldn't wait to grow in the Lord in their life. So much of the Christian life is waiting. The Bible talks about having long patience for that fruit of the earth. And we're not very good at that. He said in Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord. You know, what do I do? Because it's not working out right. Just, matter of fact, let's turn there and read that. I don't know if I'll finish Proverbs 27 tonight. Psalm 37. You guys, this is an issue. Because everybody wants what they want in their life right now. And they don't have any patience for it. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed people that are 25 years of age want to have the same life that their parents have at 55 and 60 that have worked all their life for that life. Is anybody with me on that? I mean, they want to have the same house and the same job and the same car and the same stuff. No, you you got to go through steps and patience in life. But not, not but the new generation, we want everything right now. We want to have stuff like, like people have had it that have worked for 30 years to get that. Well, that's just not reality usually. And, and you know what, what a blessing it was for when my wife and I, had, it, we didn't have nothing. And I, I've told you this before, our parents could have made it so much easier and they didn't. And I praise the Lord for that. It's great just to have a table. Amen. And a bed. At least you had a table and a bed. And there can be an appreciation that comes as you wait and God gives you more and blesses your life. And there can be such an entitlement attitude and an ingratitude that develops in somebody that can never wait. But I want it right now. Right now. Psalm 37. I didn't read the verse. You say, what do I do while I'm waiting? This is so hard to wait on all this stuff. Psalm 37, verse 7. This is what you do. You rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him and fret not thyself. Do you see that in the Bible? Because this is what usually, usually when we wait, we, we fret while, we, while we're waiting. 
We've got to have God do something in our heart where we don't fret. How do I not fret while I'm waiting for this circumstance to change in my life that's not good? Well, he says, rest in the Lord. You've got to find your rest, your comfort, your satisfaction, your peace of mind from the Lord, or you will fret. And the reason that we can't wait is because we're not resting in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. It doesn't always turn out like we want it to immediately. Life's blessings need to be waited for. Wait on the Master. Wait on the Master. I fear sometimes that's why maybe God doesn't meet with us more than He does in our services because we're not willing to wait on Him. Okay, Lord, here's our service times. If you can't get it in there, I'm going to the restaurant. Right? Okay, Lord, here's my trip to the altar or to the place of prayer. If you can't get it solved right there, I'm out. We've got to be willing to wait on him. Wait on the quiet because he's the master, man. He knows. He's got the answers. Well, so we move from that verse, Proverbs 27, verse 18 to verse number 19. As in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. Now you understand what the first part of the verse says. When you look in water, you get, there's another face in that water. If you ever look in the water and you see a different face from you, you got a problem. If you don't know the person that's in the mirror, there's an issue. No, that's you. Face answereth the face. It is a picture of who you are. It's a mirror, though it's in the water. But then he says, so the heart of man to man. Now, some people have, have used this as the heart of man to some other man. and they. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what he's saying because that, that face in the water, the same face that's looking out at him from the water is the face that's looking in the water. It's the same face. And I think what he's saying is the heart of man is answering to man. In other words, I think our hearts are the mirror reflection of what our lives really are, of who we really are. Look at chapter 23 of Proverbs. Proverbs 23. Here's my question. God's mirror is your heart. So what kind of person does your heart reflect you to be? What do you really look like in your heart? Because that's the real you. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart. What does he say? So is he. In other words, you can have all this stuff on the exterior, all this stuff in your life. But as you're thinking in your heart, that's the true picture of who you are. That's your real face. And you know what? The Bible talks about the secrets of the heart are made manifest. And I'm going to tell you, whatever's down in your heart, that's your real reflection. Just like Jesus said, you know, he said, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. 
That hatred in your heart is really showing you the picture of who you are? If you lust in your heart, then you're an adulterer. That's the picture of who you really are? Over and over again, God's saying, our our real person is what is down in here. So you know what we need to do? We need to find out what's down in there and let our heart be examined by the Lord so we'll really know what we look like. Look at James chapter 1. You know, I'm sure, now there may be some guys in here, but I'm sure there's no lady in here that before you came to church that you looked in the mirror and there was something bad wrong in the mirror and you just said, that's all right. Now maybe, I don't know, but if I was a betting man, I'd say, no. Especially if you could fix it. Or try, you'd try to fix it. Now there may be a few guys in here, that, but anyway. Um, if you look in the mirror and you see something wrong, you just... But if you look in the, if you think there's nothing, you know, if you think there's nothing wrong, you're convinced there's nothing wrong, but you look in the mirror and you see something seriously wrong, do you still believe those other thoughts in your head that there was nothing wrong? No, because that mirror is telling the truth about what you really look like. Maybe you walked in the house and you thought your hair was great. And everything was kept and well. And then you went and looked in the mirror and said, oh, I didn't see that. Well, which one was right? What you thought about yourself or what the mirror told you about yourself? I think sometimes we've got this other, we haven't looked in the mirror long enough. And, and our heart is the picture of it. Look at James chapter 1. He said in James 1.22, James 1, 22, but be you doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. When you look into the Bible and you hear the Bible, you're supposed to see a picture of your heart. And that's, guys, that's why people can't stand real preaching. Because they're looking in the mirror. And the mirror don't lie. I might have this wonderful picture in my mind that I'm in shape. But all I have to do is look in the mirror to find out what the truth is. Right? I could embellish that point, but I'm not going to do that. But that's the truth. The mirror doesn't lie. And you know what what I could do? I I could get mad at the mirror. It's like people with with, uh, scales. There's something wrong with that scale. I have never seen a scale that was right. They're all wrong. Well, I was in the doctor's office. You know their scales are always wrong. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm sure they'll go out and buy the worst scale they can buy in the doctor's office. 
We just, look guys, we have a problem with the real picture being shown. And that's the purpose of the Bible. And whatever's in your heart, that's, that's you. That's what you really look like. And so this is what the Bible says about itself. It said in Hebrews chapter 4, he says the Word of God, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Listen, listen. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, that Bible turns a mirror on your heart and my heart and shows what's really there. Maybe people aren't Bible readers, not because it's such a struggle to read, but it's such a struggle to look in the mirror every day. Maybe Bible-believing churches aren't full all over the country like this one's full tonight because it's not that the Word of God and the church is so bad and the people are so bad. Maybe people are just tired of looking into the mirror. As face answereth the face. I don't know, maybe there's some foreign jungle somewhere. They don't have mirrors, but you know what they have? They have a pool of water. They can look in that pool of water and see their face. And God's got that mirror for us. And don't get mad at the mirror. Just say, well, that's the way I look like. That's my problem. I need some help, Lord. God's mirror. So what kind of person does your heart declare you to be? Let's go back to our text. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20. Waiting on the master, God's mirror. And then 27, verse 20 says this. The Bible says, Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. What a verse. You know hell is never full. I started adding up on, it astounded me, I started trying to add up on my calculator today how many people have gone to hell since maybe 1950 it's like 4 billion people billion hell's never full the bible says hell hath enlarged herself it just keeps getting bigger you know why it's never full you can't fill hell up there's always room for one more and hell's a real place. You go in there every day. And if you're not saved here tonight, we don't want you to go to hell. We want you to come to Jesus. He's got the keys. He can let you out. You won't have to go there. But hell is never full. Never full. And he says not just hell. He said verse 20, hell and destruction are never full. Have you noticed that destroyed lives never stop? Every day we get up and something else is destroyed, whether it's somebody's a child or somebody's marriage or somebody's health or somebody's innocence or somebody's... This destruction never stops. It's not like somebody stops and says, all right, enough destruction. Enough overdoses. That never happens. Enough drunks. Enough drunken driving accidents. It never happens. Enough 
Wages of sin, bringing destruction to people's life. Nobody ever wakes up and says that. This destruction is never fulfilled. It keeps going and going and going. But God uses that as an example. That's not his intent of the proverb. He said, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Just like hell never gets enough and destruction never gets enough, you and I never get enough. It's never enough. That's human nature. There's something wrong with us. It's never enough. I forget what that rich man it was who said, you know, how many more millions or billions do you need to satisfy? He says, just one more. Because it's just never enough. He said that in chapter 30. He said, the grave, chapter 30 of Proverbs, verse 16, the grave... Or excuse me, verse 15, the horse leech hath two daughters, crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. He says that again in verse 16. And one of those things is that our eyes are never satisfied. We always want more, always. Just ask Solomon. Solomon had more riches than anybody else, but you know what? It wasn't enough. He was not satisfied. You know what he said? You know what he said? You know what he said? He said, I hated life. He had more than anybody in the world. But it didn't fill his life. It wasn't enough. He had more women. You'd think one of them would have been enough in the thousands. Wasn't enough. You'd think all the pleasures that he enjoyed, the wine, the food, never know. And that's the way it is in our hearts. Because as Charles Bridges said, would you listen to this quote? How can an immortal being quench his thirst but from an infinite source? There's something in us that just hungers and hungers and there's nothing in this world that can fill it because it's not an infinite source. It always stops. But there is an infinite source. Jesus said, Jesus said, come unto me if you're thirsty and drink, come unto me and you'll never thirst again. That's what Jesus said. Now he's either liar or he's got the goods. That means he can satisfy when life, you can't find satisfaction. You know, all of us are eat up with this, guys. All of us. We're not, <laughs> no matter what house you're in, you know what? I bet, you, I bet you want something a little better. Whatever car you've got, well, something else came on the market. Right? Things get so old so fast. Yeah. For some parents, it doesn't matter what their kids do, it'll never be enough. A little quiet there. And there'll never be a man that can satisfy you. There'll never be a, a woman in the world that says, we're just never satisfied. We're, there's always something that we want to replace or exchange. 
And Jesus is trying to teach us contentment when we in our being, all of us, is we just can't get enough. It's, it's not, we never just stop saying, oh, that's, I, don't, I don't need anything else. Man keeps seeking what he can never find. And if he finds it, it's not enough. So you know what we need to learn? We need to learn about ourselves that we're not going to ever be satisfied. And accept that. Accept that my life, I will never be satisfied with my life. But I can learn to be satisfied with Jesus. I can learn that. Because He is an infinite source. And unless He's a liar, He can give me a drink that I'll never want another one. You know what the psalmist said? He said, in Psalm 17, verse 15, he said, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. In other words, as long as I'm walking out here, I'm not satisfied. But one day I'm going to go to sleep. And when I get up and I see your likeness, and I am in your likeness, then I'll be satisfied. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy us, guys. So you, you might as well quit being disappointed. But one day I'm going to wake up and I'll be satisfied. And that's why I think the New Testament, when it writes to us, and you talk about hard verses. You know, the New Testament is not a hard book to understand. It's just a hard book to accept. And the New Testament tells us, Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. That's enough to stop and just go to the altar and say, Lord, I I agree with you. I'm never satisfied. (laughs) Help me. Fill my life where all I need is food and raiment. Do you know how many things are not in food and raiment? (laughs) Just like hell and destruction, never full. Can't ever get enough. Go back to our text. We don't have much left. Verse 21. As the fining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. What he's saying in that verse is, and he talked about praise in verse 2 of the chapter. Praise is a trying crucible for you. What you do with it. What you let it do to you. It's a trial to you. It works on you. How you respond to praise. But keep reading. As the fighting pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Watch verse 22. He says, Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. How many of you know what a mortal and pestle is? I don't think you can cook very well with that one. I mean, I mean, you talk about emulsifying things and getting things down. We've got a big one out of marble. I think I bought it in Greece that we use a lot. And put, you know, olive oil and, and herbs and stuff. And you get that and you just grind that. You're just working on that. You know what God says? God says you can take a fool and you can stick him down in a mortal with a pestle. And you can just work on that fool and crush him. And just twist it and just beat it down and try to just totally just smush him. And you know what happens with that fool? He's still a fool. No matter how you crush him and work on him, 
That fool doesn't change. I tell you what, I don't want to be a fool. You know what? God's grinded on me sometimes in my life. And I want to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do, you're the, you're, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Do what you want to do. But that fool, it doesn't matter what God does. They stay a fool. You know what the problem is? You've got to change. That fool's nature's got to change. You know, some people have had children that, that played the fool and lived the fool. And probably the best thing to do instead of worrying about continuing to grind on that fool. I hate to say that, but it's just what the Bible says here. If, they could, if we could get them to see what their nature is and that if we could get them to see that they need wisdom and the only place they can get wisdom is from a book. It's from God. All the rest of that grinding in their life, they'll never even put it together that all this grinding in my life is because I'm a fool. You know, Pharaoh was that way, wasn't he? See how God just grinded on Pharaoh. He's a fool. Lost everything. He wasn't a dumb man. He was just a foolish man. You say, what do you do? If they don't change their nature, there's, their foolishness will never depart from That's why if you're a parent and you've got young kids, you better listen to that verse in that book of Proverbs that says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from That That's why that's in there. Because once they get to be a full-grown fool, you can grind and grind and grind, and unless their nature changes... The foolishness isn't changing. It's like going out here and trying to change society. Guys, we're not going to change society. They don't have the nature to change. They need to be born again. They need a new nature. People go after foolishness because that's what kind of person they are. I'm glad though that God can change a fool and turn him into a wise person. But the nature's got to change. And that master, the mortar and pestle is trying to get away that husk. just never happens with a fool. The futility of trying to refine a fool. A man may be crushed, but never humbled. And the last thing I give you tonight, look at verse number 23. Because we'll go down to verse 27. I think it's all one little thing together here. He said, verse 23, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. And look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself. And herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goat's milk, enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. He begins to talk about the situation of this person's wealth. They've got flocks, they've got herds, they have riches, they have fields, they have lambs, they have, they have goats, they have a household and milk and, and, and maidens. And the blessing of, uh, of wealth is upon these people. But what he says, don't overlook what God's given you. Look what he said there in verse number 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. 
and look well to thy herds. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to be uh, diligent in our business and we need to, what God has given us, we need to be looking well to it and watching well and being good stewards of what He's given and know the state. You know, you know the, average, the average person don't even know how much their credit card debt is. They don't even know. They just chart it. They, they, they can't even add it all up. They've not looked well to the state of what's going on in their, their house, their financial house. He says, he says, look well to the state of thy flocks. Be diligent. He says, because verse 24, for riches are not forever. Guys, we've got to be convinced that wealth changes. Riches change. And they can change that fast. James 1 says, you know, the rich needs to rejoice in that he's made low. Riches are not forever. Whatever we've got, we've been blessed by the Lord. We ought to praise him, thank him. We ought to enjoy it. But we know we also got to know they're not forever. Wherever your status is, it can change immediately. That's why he talks, I believe, about verse 25. The hay appears, the tender grass shows itself, the herbs of the mountains are gathered. But yeah, they're gathered and then they're gone. The hay grows and it's gone. Whatever's going on in your life, it could totally be gone. Things change so rapidly. So what do we need to do? Verse 26, the lambs are for thy clothing. If God's provided for you, you need to rejoice and be thankful for that. The goats are the price of the field. If you have land, if you have means, you ought to praise the Lord for that provision. Verse 27, and thou shalt have goats milk enough for thy foot. Look at that word enough. He just got through saying that, that the eyes of man are never satisfied. It's never enough. And yet God, whatever God supplies for us, it ought to be enough. And we ought to thank him for all the provision that he's given us. Enough for thy food. Thank you, Lord, for my food. And for the maintenance of thy means. The things that you... Present day wisdom is this. Guys, you've got to understand, if we don't rejoice right now, God, God's been so good to us. And I'm telling you, riches are not forever. And this country can be bankrupt before you can turn around. And we could be in depression. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to be a fear monger. I'm just saying that's life. Riches are not forever. Countries rise and fall all the time. And what we've got and what we have is so wonderful and so blessed of the Lord. And we ought to thank Him and praise Him and be satisfied with it. Because what if your condition is what the condition of those poor people in Ukraine are? You say, oh, preacher... Man, one nuke. Guys, one nuke. Yeah. <laughs> On Brown's Ferry, one nuke. Oh, preacher. Yeah. Probably won't even have to be a nuke. I don't think God needs Russia, North Korea, or China to bring down America. All he has to do is touch our wealth. And boy, then you, then you find out real quick how much God really did bless us and take care of us and how much He really did for us. And we ought to thank Him now. We ought to enjoy it now. And we ought to use it for the glory of God now. 